Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Chris again, and I want to uh, say that I'm really glad to be able to be a part of this and kind of take us from week one into week two. So our topic is the fear of man versus the fear of God, all right? So it um, feels a little strange maybe for some of us, say some, a bunch of men getting around talking about fear because we ain't scared, are we? I ain't scared, you? But um, no matter how macho we think we are, we do have some fears. I was looking recently at the uh, top list of fears, top list of phobias. Anybody know what the perennial number one has been for such a long time? You know what that is? Yeah, public speaking, right? Speaking in public, which I always thought was the strangest thing, that someone would rather be bludgeoned to death by a meat cleaver than they would stand up in front of a bunch of people and talk. I'm like, that doesn't make sense to me, but whatever, right? So the list has changed, by the way, um, a little bit, and I'll let you go find out what number one is these days. Um, but no matter how macho we think we are, we actually do have fears as men. Um, whether it's the fear of clowns, which isn't really funny anymore after what's going on in the news, or whether it's um, a fear of the unknown, or whether it's what you might call phobophobia, which is the fear of just fear itself. Being afraid that I might be afraid is really an interesting idea. But we do. So I want to start us off by just showing you a graphic of um, a, little, a little image that might help us really, really get into uh, the topic. So uh, here's what I'd say. Is I'd say is we all have these surface issues. So a surface issue, an example, might be something like this. Um, this is a conflict or lying. It might be something that you experience on a, and you do on a day-to-day -day basis. They're just right out there on the surface. Um, cheating on your taxes, cheating on your spouse, cheating on your bottom line at work or something like that. It's just right there at the surface. Um, and then if you went beneath the surface of that, you might find that there's doubt or anger or anxiety or envy that is pushing up those surface issues so you act on the surface because some of those things are at the next level but here's what I would say is I would say if you go one more level below that right to the core you're getting at really what we want or we're afraid we're not going to get what we want or we're afraid that we're that we're going to get what we don't want Okay, so that fear really is, it's like a boiler room that energizes, that pushes up to beneath the surface issues, which then pushes things up to the surface. Okay, so in week one, last week, Matt gave um, a, an illustration. He used two men, he called them Hank and Hal. If you're Hank or Hal, no offense, it's not about you, just two names with an H, right? So um, he said both Hank and Hal had the same surface issue, if you remember this. The surface issue was that they ignored their wife because they were workaholics, okay? But he said if you press down underneath that into the beneath the surface issue, you'd find out that they, that's when they differ, okay? So for Hank, the beneath the surface issue was he craves power, and status. So because he craves power and status, he overworks, right? But if you looked even deeper than that for Hank, what you're going to find is that he's, he's afraid that no one will notice him or that he's insignificant. 
that he's really an invisible person. And if he died, it would really not make much of a difference. And so that fear of, of invisibility and insignificance gives him fire that pushes up to the next level, that pushes up to the surface issues. So for Hal, who is an overworker, he's a workaholic and ignores his wife, if you went down beneath the surface, Matt said, that he, is, that he craves security. Different reason for overworking. But if you look at his fear, what you're going to find is that he, he's afraid that his needs won't be met or the needs of his family won't be met. Or that he's going to miss out on the good things in life if he doesn't work more in order to have the finances in order to be able to do those things, right? So for both of them, fear provides the lion's share of their energy. And here's what I'll say is, if fear is the boiling room, if fear is the thing that is pushing energy up and out, it is inevitable that we're going to go awry. We're going to go in a wrong direction. We're going to live and we're going to act in wrong ways as it comes to the surface. Okay. So our particular flavor of fear that we're going to talk about is the fear of man. Right? So the Bible really points it this way. Fear of man versus the fear of God. It really pits the two against each other. Okay? It's mentioned hundreds of times in the Bible, these two things. And uh, some even say it's the primary way that we uh, relate to God is in fear. Right? But the issue is we, we in, in this time in our country, in our world, in Christianity, we rarely talk about fearing God. Right? And I think it's to our detriment. So we want to make sure we cover it. As we begin, I want to show you or give you a recommendation of a book. Uh, it's titled, we, uh, When People Are Big and God is Small, and it's by Ed Welsh, Overcoming Peer Pressure, Codependency, and the Fear of Man. It's a really good book. So here's what I would say is if you find some of these things resonating with you and you want to do some more thinking on it, uh, that would be a great resource for you to go to. All right, so let's look at a definition. It's right there in your notes um, that you have in your books or on uh, your device uh, as well. Let's look at a definition of the fear of man. So fear in a biblical sense is really a broader word than what you and I might say to our little child who is afraid, okay? It does include being afraid of someone, okay? The fear of man does include being afraid of someone. But it extends to holding someone in reverence, or awe. So when they walk in the room, your palms just get sweaty, not necessarily because they're going to hurt you, but because they hold a status that affects the way that you feel or even affects the way that you act. Okay? It's being controlled or mastered by someone, right? It's in the Bible language it would say it's worshiping other people or putting your trust in them or or coming to the point where you and I as as men need someone else we literally put them in the category of I need them right so however you want to put it the fear of man can be summarized this way we replace God with someone else we replace God with a person with people okay and you notice we have Proverbs 29 25 it says this fearing people is a dangerous trap but trusting the Lord means safety so here's my question do you ever feel trapped or have you ever felt trapped right have you ever felt like there's no good solution to an issue or a problem and you're in a pickle and if you make this decision, you're going to hurt someone. If you make this decision, you're going to get blowback from someone. If you make this decision, you're going to have some serious negative effects for that person or for you. It just means that every direction that you look, there's, there's going to be some serious repercussions with the people around you. It's a, it's a trap, right? 
If that is the case for you, it's probably because you've lived for years making decisions that's gotten you into a corner so that now the next decision you know is going to leave some carnage in the way. It is a trap living in a way that we fear other people. So if you're in that place, here's what I would say to you. You're not the first, all right? The first was the first, that is, Adam, the first man, was the one who felt that. So in Genesis 3.10, you can just write that down and look at it later if you like. After Adam sinned, what did he do? Remember? What did he do? He went and hid. And, and the, the text actually says, he went and hid because he was afraid. He was afraid because he had done something wrong, right? And this fear not the right kind of fear of God, literally drove him away from God. In Romans 3.18, which is in your notes, it is a, um, it's a section of Scripture where it's talking about how humanity, the depravity of the human race, and how that has characterized the world uh, since humanity went into sin. Okay? And he comes down to the climax of this description of what humanity is like. All right, And here's the climax of the description. Here's the summary description of humanity as it relates to sin. Here's what it says. You see it? They have no fear of God at all. So there's a sense in which Paul summarizes all of sin. All of our sin can be summarized in this one way. We don't fear God. That's a fascinating summary, isn't it? So the question is, what is it? All right, I've given you a definition, but let's just, let's just work through some categories. I'm giving you some uh, space to write three categories of uh, fear of man. Okay? First one is this. It's the fear of being hurt or of retaliation. Okay? The fear of being hurt or of retaliation. And, and really, this could range from physical hurt um, all the way to non-physical pain. All right, it could, it could run the gamut, but, but we, we live in fear that we're going to be hurt somehow or we're going to experience retaliation for something that we do. Um, here's some examples. Um, just violence in your city or violence in your neighborhood. It's where you hear of something happening and you double and triple check the locks, right? Or you go and you make sure that your security system is working or if you don't, get one, you don't have one, you're going to make sure you get one because it just makes you a little bit nervous or very nervous. Or you know there's a certain part of town that you're not going to live in. So uh, there was a, a, one of the cities that I uh, lived in as a boy. There was a major inner city issue where we were living and I remember very clearly my family saying we've got to get somewhere safe. So my parents had this fear of that, right? It could be um, fear because of harm of sexual abuse, right? So certainly in the ears that are listening to this, these men, there have been a large portion who have suffered sexual abuse, all right? Which causes you to have this, this fear inside of you that really does, in many ways, control your behavior. It's affected you so deeply. Could be verbal harassment from an angry person. Some of you experience that or are going to experience that at work. I mean, you just know you're going to get ripped today. 
You just know you're going to hear it because there's pressure being pushed down on that person and that person's angry and frustrated and so they're putting pressure down on you or you are outperforming them and they feel like it's not fair, not right because they want that and so they're going to let you have it. You just know you wake up, that's just part of your day. Just like eating your lunch, you know you're going to get verbally harassed. Could be Christian persecution, which most of us haven't even sniffed, okay? Um, some of us have. Some of us have felt that. You've talked about Jesus and your loyalty to him, and, and you, felt a little, you felt some pressure from somebody. But in, in our country, not as much. However, I think, I think we're moving that way more and more. Could be terrorism. Could be racism. The, the truth is people can hurt us, and it's not pleasant, Okay? It's not pleasant, and uh, nobody in their right mind wants it. But it is a form of fear. So let me just make sure we're very clear. In a sense, the fear of being hurt or retaliation is legitimate. Okay? There's a sense in which it is legitimate. It's not wrong to, to be afraid because here's what happens. That fear drives us towards safety and security. It pushes us towards being wise and being safe and, and secure. So as men, we are charged with protecting our families. We're protecting those who are um, helpless or need protection, right? That is a responsibility of ours as, as men. And fear oftentimes teaches us what we should be con- concerned about with the safety and security of others. However, here's what I will say. It can go from being something good and healthy to being a controlling issue. So the fear of avoiding hurt, the fear of avoiding retaliation can then control the way that we act. It drives our behavior. Right? So we watch 24-hour news cycles, which is, by the way, nothing but fear-mongering. Right? It is evil. I actually do think that. It is not good to watch a 24-hour news cycle or just hear it because it's just, they're just playing on our fears all the time and it causes us to be and so you know someone or maybe you are that someone who's just constantly in tune of the news and everything that they ever report is ultimate it's 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 not healthy we become professional navigators of webmd you know webmd so well just as well as walking through your home right and every every possible thing we just go straight there we're scared to death to travel right because you say i mean you know what can happen when you travel? Right. And so there's no way I'm doing that. I'm just scared to death, right? Which might be some legitimacy. Could be a controlling issue for us. We turn into preppers. Uh-huh. Stockpiling for what? The apocalypse. I was talking to a guy not long ago who was, um, who was stockpiling. And he was telling me about all he had, and it was Incredible what he had stockpiled now he was making sure nobody knew about it though he was telling me and about how he had this particular bike that um, could help him get to some of his extended family's home when the apocalypse happened because there wasn't going to be any gas right real life person real life job <laughs> it's it's amazing we uh, take baths and hand sanitizer every day because there just might be something out there that gives me some sickness or we never say a word about Jesus we just we we, whatever that fear is it can be a controlling thing for us and here's what I would say is there's this radical reorientation towards the fear of hurt or retaliation that you and I have to have 
It's a radical reorientation. And here it is. It's in your notes, Matthew 10, 28. It says this, Don't be afraid of those who want to kill the body. They cannot touch your soul. Instead, what's the option? Fear only God, who can destroy both soul and body in hell. That's the radical reorientation we have to have. Okay? Only the fear of the one who is able to determine our eternal destiny either in judgment or in life, this is the one who deserves our fear. Not people at the ultimate sense of the word. This is the one whom we place our trust. This is the one who who we give our respect and our all. This is the one who controls our behavior, right? This is the one who we serve, right? All right, number two, fear of being exposed. Fear being exposed. <clears throat> this is really about shame, by the way. It's, it's a key in shame. So underneath fear of being exposed, I'm going to give you three ways. And again, let me just say, these are, these are diagnostic tools for you as you go into groups and as you do, do some discussion, as you just kind of think on your own, to, to really put yourself in and find where, where these things, whether these things are true of you or not. So three categories underneath fear of being exposed. The first one I would say is secret sins. Right? So many of us, all of us have secrets. Don't, don't think that we don't. All of us have secrets and all of us have secret sins. Right? None of us are completely out there. But what happens is these secret sins end up controlling us. They end up um, causing us to hide. And we're afraid that we're going to be exposed one day. Right? Could be voyeurism. Pornography, lust, something like that. That's an easy one to go to to say that's an example of, of this idea that we, we want to keep secret. And so because we're afraid of being exposed, we, we manipulate our circumstances or we refuse to get into certain settings because it might come out. Right? It's a fear and it drives our behavior. It ends up shaping who we are actually. Number two, escapism. Another way is escapism. That is um, something like alcohol or prescription drugs, which is a little cleaner than alcohol, or food or some sort of hobby down in the basement away from everyone else and the pressures of the world because that's where we get our relief if we get, when we get there. Right? It's, it's kind of this idea that there, there is an escape I can go to. So what happens is because we're afraid of being exposed, we, do, we, we quarantine off this section of our lives where we can go participate in it, where we can escape from issues, and then we try to hide that, not able to come out, which oftentimes when it comes out, it comes out in this crazy destructive way, not just being slowly revealed in order to get some help. Third way that we uh, work through fear of being exposed is overcompensation, right? As men, we, we overcompensate uh, in lots of different ways. We overwork, many of us, so that we can outdo another dude that makes us feel like we're significant, that, that we've got something going on and that they don't. So we overwork. Or um, we feel like we got to have a vehicle that... If it's not really a truck unless you can stand straight up inside the wheel of that truck, right? Then it's a truck, 
right? So no, that's not a truck. This is a truck. Or whatever it may be. Maybe it's small and fast and red, whatever that is, all right? There's this American extreme individuality and self-reliance that we live in. So what we do as American men oftentimes is we, just, we are sure to project to everyone else that we don't need anyone. We don't need anybody. I mean, everybody else needs somebody, but I am good. I'm fine, right? Especially as men, because somehow we think it, ma- it makes us more of a man if we're, if we're less needy. We're more of a man if we don't need anything at all. We're good. Self-made men. Common phrase that seems to be something that our culture really prizes, right? Or maybe it's hypermasculinity, right? Just go to a gym. Been to a gym lately? Yeah, you've seen a huge group of hyper-masculine men. It's the guys that are past their prime. Let's just not even say what age that might be. But it's guys that are past their prime who are wearing a bodybuilding tank top who should not be wearing a bodybuilding tank top at the gym, right? They've got a a gallon jug of water that they drink out of because they want to make sure everybody sees how much they're sweating, how much they're drinking. And every time they lift something, they grunt and then they drop it so that everybody looks over and goes, well, look at this. I mean, this guy. He's amazing, right? They're taking, and I air quote here, supplements, right? Supplements that make their arms bigger, but um, their man parts shrink, right? Because they're taking that because they are a man and making sure that everybody knows it. It's this, it's this overcompensation that we as men do. And we've been doing it since we were little boys. Here's what I'd say. If you dig a little bit, you're going to find a man who's insecure oftentimes. And he's afraid that he'll be exposed. And here's the thing. We're afraid that we'll be exposed as weak. We're afraid that we're going to get exposed as not measuring up. Because if we're weak or if we're not measuring up, then there's not much to us. Right? Hebrews 4.13 has something to say about that there in your notes nothing in all creation is hidden from God all right so remember this is a fear of being exposed there is no being exposed to God he already sees it everything is naked and exposed before his eyes and he is the one to whom we are accountable so here's the question why would we ever fear another man another woman or why would we live with this idea of this fear of being exposed when God already knows you see, when you start to look at it, it starts to, it starts to say that when we fear other people, it doesn't even make sense. Only fearing God makes sense. Third category, fear of rejection. This is about the endless search for approval. It's the endless search for approval, which many of us are completely addicted, completely addicted. I'm just going to tell you, as you go and you really think through some of this, there, is not going, there, there should not be a man to say, that I do wrestle with this. Even the ones who say, there, I, don't fear any, I, don't, I don't need approval from anybody. What you end up becoming is a caricature of yourself because you overemphasize the fact that you don't need approval from anyone, which is the very thing that you think somehow brings you some level of approval. So this touches all of us, no matter what level that we're in. Okay. The technical term for uh, this is impression or image management. Right? We are into image or impression management. So let's just go ahead and admit it. Most of the big time athletes, 
professional athletes are a train wreck these days, right? It's just, it just happens all the time. And so in order to help them, they have agents. Now, agents used to be simply someone who negotiated a contract. But now agents are negotiating contracts and really helping manage the image of these men. Because they know that if they, if they have a good impression or good image, then the real money comes with endorsements, right? But let's not be too hard on them because you and I are into image management as well. We just aren't paid enough and don't have a camera in our face constantly to have to have somebody help us not go crazy. But we're into image management as well. If we'll listen closely, here's what we're going to discover. Here's what you'll discover. And if you start listening to the way that you talk, I start listening to the way I talk, we're going to find out that our conversations are largely dedicated to managing our own image both subtly and overtly, okay? So when you relay your day to someone, um, you, might, you might exaggerate how busy you are because somehow being ultra busy legitimizes us as men. I mean, I didn't even have a chance to eat today. I was so busy, you know, underlying quote, because I'm that important, right? Or... I mean, all I could do was sit in restaurants today because people are just constantly trying to get me to give them their business. So they want to take me out. Image management, right? Or when students get a grade back, uh, you know, they're like, hey, I, I mean, I hardly had a chance to study. I just want to make sure we're clear. I, I did not get much of a chance to study. Just because in that case they don't have get a good grade, then they have made sure that everybody knows that, that it's not because they're not intelligent, right? We all did that. Or when you tell somebody about a TV show that you watched, um, you make sure to preface it by saying, I mean, I don't watch much TV. I got way too much going on to do that. But I will tell you about the show that I watch. It's like even a slight comment like that is, is it's image management. It, it's, it's trying to make sure that you don't look a certain way because you want to make sure you look this way someone outdoes you and work and gets the promotion gets the bonus gets the extra check gets the recognition and we're like I mean I know what they're doing over there the reason they have an end is because the boss really has taken an unusual liking to them or I know what they're doing I mean they're cutting corners and I'm going to tell you what I'm not going to cut corners right even something like that is is image management we just do it all of the time vast amounts of human behavior even if we try to describe it, vast amounts of human behavior is simply our attempts to impress other people. Why? Because we think other people are thinking about us all the time. Now, when you say it out loud, you're like, that sounds ridiculous. But when it's in your head, it sure makes sense to us. I mean, i got to make sure I have a good image impression because people are thinking about me. And certainly when I walk away from them, they're still thinking about me, right? So when you're in your 20s, you live to please other people. I mean, it just drives our behavior. you got all kinds of energy to make sure that you show yourself legitimate. You're outside of mom and dad's home. You've kind of gone through your life. You're at this point where you're just working hard to make sure other people look and say, now that's a legit man right there. In your 30s, you're a little bit miffed because you haven't pleased everybody as enough as you want to. Or you change environments because that environment, you couldn't impress them enough, so you got to go impress them in this environment. When you're in your 40s, you get tired of pleasing others. You, you get worn out and you start to wonder, I mean, is all this energy that I've been putting in these two decades, is that really worth it? 
right? You start to wonder. And then when you get in your 50s, you come to the realization that nobody was thinking about you anyway, at least not as much as you thought they were. So only a certain people that really think of you in a certain way. They're the ones that are really important. So it just funnels down to those ones. It's still image management. It's just image with a certain group of people. Then when you get in your 60s, you have come to the sure conclusion nobody was thinking about you in the way that you thought they were, at least nearly as much as you were, and you just need a nap, right? Uh, no, no offense. <laughs> I'm coming to that. I feel like that now. I'm only 41. Truth be told, people aren't thinking about us as much as we think they are. They really aren't. And yet we put vast amounts of energy and language, and conversation, and thought into making sure we're making an impression. So John 12, 43 in your notes seems to be an apt description for most of us. It's this. They loved, or we love, human praise more than the praise of God. That, That can, for many of us, kind of be a banner over top of who we are. So, for me, this has been an issue all my life. Let me just be honest with you. And I kind of had a trifecta going on. Um, one was the family I grew up in. Uh, my parents, it was a, it was a pretty strict home um, in lots of ways, of which I'm in- incredibly grateful for. Uh, I'm mean, so grateful for my heritage. Um, but it was, it was pretty strict. And... Um, so I learned from a very early age the way, to, the way this thing works in my parents' home is just to be good. Because if I'm good, I get approval, right? Um, and then it really bled over into we were Christians. So it bled over from my Christian home is that, well, if my parents work that way, then that's the way God works. So everything in the Bible to me meant be good. So anytime my parents would say, Chris, what does that mean? I'd say, be good, right? Because I needed to be good because that's what makes God happy with me. And if God's happy with me, then he's going to give me stuff. He's going to do things. It's just life's going to be a lot, be- a lot better. Well, then what I didn't realize was the third thing that really sealed it for me was that's part of what my personality is. So each of us have different personalities. Some don't care a lick. Others of us are driven by the fact that we need to make sure other people are impressed or like us. And so there's something inside of me that's just natural. It's in my DNA. It's my personality. So when you add those three things together, it's been an issue for me my entire life. And sometimes it's not gone very swimmingly. (laughs) It's been rough because I've totally failed and I felt like I'm a horrible failure. And the reason is because the people that I was hoping I could impress or have a good image in front of weren't giving me the feedback I wanted. But being addicted to approval does not mean that we cannot have a healthy respect for it. We can have a healthy respect. Listen, affirmation and approval are good things. They really are. They are good and positive things. Um, I read this uh, from one author. He said, Receiving praise gracefully without becoming an addict requires a well-ordered heart. It means loving the right thing in the right way to the right degree with the right kind of love. If our hearts are ordered that way, loving the right thing in the right way to the right degree with the right kind of love, then we can receive that kind of 
um, attention. We can receive that kind of affirmation and encouragement and not become an addict. But this is the way he finishes that idea. He says, it is not always possible to know when we've crossed the line into addiction, approval addiction. He says, it's not always possible to know. Sometimes you're there, you just don't know you're there until some of that starts to wane and go away. And when you realize it's gone away, you realize I'm a full-blown addict. I just didn't think I was before. Or you get really close to that line and you barely step over and now you just need it. And, and remember what we do with the fear. That fear, that approval, that fear of you're not going to get that approval energizes you. It ticks your energy up. And you start to, you have a little bit quicker step because somebody's giving you that affirmation and that, that approval. And then you start to look for it. You start to constantly hit the refresh button on your email because you're waiting for that email to come through, hoping to tell you that you did great. You're constantly flipping that phone going, I mean, are they not going to tell me? They need to. And as soon as it comes, either you're elated or you feel, you feel like you've been stabbed. In the end, it's a question of whether God approves us or not. I actually think that looking for approval is, is ingrained inside of us as humans. It's just not to be the approval of humanity. It's approval of God. So when we get there, are we going to see him? He's going to say, well done or poorly done. So how do you know if you've been caught in the trap of fearing man? All right, I'm going to give you four things. Four ways to know that if you've been caught in the fear of man, and you can use these in your groups and, uh, as you go through some discussion. Number one, comparison. All right? Comparison. You're always comparing accomplishments with other people. If you find yourself doing that in your head, if you find yourself doing that verbally with people that are safe, if you find yourself doing that in different environments, then you probably are really, you're probably well in the pool of the fear of man. Two, deception. Because we fear what others think, we, we will sometimes just completely lie. Just completely lie. But then other times we just shade the truth. And we shade it just enough to make sure that we get approval or to make sure that we're not exposed. Right? Or we're not putting ourselves in any sort of danger. Three, resentment resentment we resent the very people and and this is this is ironic right we resent the very people that we're trying to impress isn't that a weird part of the sickness (laughs) you're trying to impress someone and when it works you like the fact that you've impressed them or you like the fact that you've you've gotten approval or you've not been exposed but there's something in the inside of you that says, I don't even like them. Or you don't get that from them, what you're looking for, and you really don't like them. And it's really clear. And yet, here's what happens. The next opportunity you get, you look to impress them again. You look to make sure you're not exposed to them again. It's, a, it's, a, it's an ironic twist that that will help us know whether we are in that. Third is energy. Right? So our energy ticks up or down when we are with someone that we're trying to impress. When you're in their presence or you're their virtual presence, your energy goes up. Your back straightens a little bit. 
your speech becomes a little bit different or your actions you want to make sure or the list that you're talking about or the things that you're just trying to mirror to image what they're doing or to show them what you're doing, that energy just, just, just goes up. And then if they approve or whatever, your energy goes up another notch. Just a little bit more hit of adrenaline. Or you don't get that and your energy just bottoms out. Right? You start to slump. You lose it. It's just a way for us to know whether we are really inside of this. So let me summarize it by saying this. We fear man because we do not fear God or we do not fear him enough. Right? So saying, I just have to stop fearing man, is not going to work. That's not the way it happens. You replace it with something else. And you replace it with what we're designed to replace it with, and that is the fear of God. Okay? So let's define fear of God there in your notes. The opposite of the fear of man, it, it would, if you want to say it, say, look at the definition of the fear of man and just look, make it the opposite. Okay, that, that is true. But let me nuance it just slightly. Let me give you three words to nuance it with. One is awe, A-W-E. You have awe. You, place the, you, you, you see that God is so amazing that he's the only one who is legitimately able to take the place of your respect in this way. Second word is devotion. So you become completely devoted to God, not devoted to the other option. And the third one is worship. You constantly feel like giving him your praise, your worship, your time, your energy, all of those things that it looks like because he deserves them. Okay, So in comparison to God, nothing or no one matters. And you say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. You mean my family doesn't matter? I'm not saying your family is, is, does, does not have value. What I'm saying is the way the Bible talks about it is this. The Bible says that our devotion to God, our awe of God, our worship of God, our, our, our seeing God in where the place that he's in is is so much greater than everyone else. It's like we're not even comparing the same things. Devotion to the people we love, respect, versus the devotion to God. It's like apples and oranges. It's like a different category. It's so different in height. Fear of God is action-oriented. This is very, very, very important. Make sure you get this. Fear of God is action-oriented. It's not just a state of heart. It's not just a feeling, an emotion. It is an emotion, but it's not just in that world of emotions. It is action-oriented. That is this. It is not simply a passive deal. It follows Jesus in obedience. We look to see how, it, how God teaches us to live, to follow him. And here's the idea. When we fear God, we can't wait to go do it. It's like nothing's going to prevent us from following him from from acting in a way that he's told us to act right it's action oriented it's movement so if you say i'm not really doing that well then another way of knowing you don't have the fear of god in us it's complete devotion to him so we have i have several texts there from proverbs and psalms look at them Proverbs 9.10, fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. I love this. Knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. So here's the thing. You want to have good judgment? Fear God. Know who He is. You want to have poor judgment? 
fear man and be concerned with what man thinks. That's interesting. So you can look at someone and you can look at history. Are they, are they, do they have a history of good decisions? If it's good decisions, they're, they're the ones follow, fearing God. Poor decisions, something else is driving them. Proverbs, uh, or Psalm 147, 10 to 11. He, that's God. This is great news, by the way. God takes no pleasure in the strength of a horse or in human might. No, the Lord delights in those who fear him. <laughs> he delights in those who fear him. Those who put their hope in his unfailing love. You want God to delight in you? Fear him. That's great news. I, I really like this next one. It's so picturesque. Um, Proverbs 15, 16, 17. Better to have a little with the fear of the Lord. So not, not being rich, not having everything to your name. Better have a little with the fear of the Lord than to have great treasure or unbelievable amounts of wealth and inner turmoil. Now, here, stop. Most of us don't actually think that's true. We actually think, because I wouldn't have inner turmoil if I had all of those things, right? It's just all the dummies who've got it all. They're the ones who are just kind of screwed up, right? No, no, no. Let's put, let's put ourselves in there. It's just saying better. It's better to have fear of the Lord and have just a little bit than to have everything. But this next one is so picturesque. Look at the next verse. A bowl of vegetables with someone you love is better than steak with someone you hate. <laughs> I love that, right? Isn't that, it's not an idea. Here's the idea is, someone you love, it's better to eat broccoli with. Cold, uncooked, unsalted broccoli than a big, fat, juicy steak. Fear of man versus fear of God. Uh, one very influential author, um, John Murray, said that the fear of God is the soul of godliness. I wanted just to make sure you had that. It's the soul of godliness. It's really at the core of, God, of, of being godly people. It's the reservoir out of which we live. So if you're a follower of Jesus, let me give you some good news. And it comes from Jeremiah 32. Um, here's some really good news. For Jesus, here's, what, here's what God says. He says, when I'm going to get people to follow me, Here's uh, what's going to happen. I'm going to put something inside of them. Verse 38. I'm going to show it to you on the slide. They shall be my people and I will be their God. I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for their own good and the good of their children after them. I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them. And I will put fear, the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. I will put fear fear in them so here's what I'm going to tell you is if you're a Christian God has done something for you that is he has put a spark of fear in your hearts it's there now the question is is that spark turning into a flame and who's responsible for that is it God is it us or is it both and the answer is it's both combining into fanning that into flame so how do we find the fear of God let me give you a few things and we'll be done for you to discuss? Or how do we fan the spark of fearing God into a flame? First, because the work of fearing God is in tandem with the Holy Spirit, we need to ask God to stimulate that growth in us. You ask Him. Psalm 86.11, I've got it on a slide too. You can write it down to, to make. This would be a great prayer to memorize and to do. It's this, give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. That would be a great prayer for you and I, to, to, for us to pray every single day. So we got to ask him. And then when we ask him, he will cause that to grow. Number two, 
Uh, I'm sure I've said this before, but it's worth saying again. You are the most influential person you know because you're always in your own head, right? And because you're always in your own head, you can argue yourself in and out of anything that you want. All of us can. So here's what we have to do. We have to learn to listen to our own thoughts. Become really skilled at listening to our thoughts. So you ever had a thought that you thought was really, really the right and good and you said it out loud and the person's like, you're crazy. You're like, what do you mean? No, I mean, inside of here it made sense, but when it came out, it, it wasn't quite right. We have to learn to get really skilled at listening to the way we think. Part of that is in community. But three, don't just leave it there. We have to think great thoughts about God. All right? So, you have to know who God is like. For example, you and I need to know why omnipresence and omniscience of God is one of the key things to getting the fear of man to go away in our own life. And you're like, I'm not sure how that is. Good, I'm going to leave that for you to wrestle with. you got to know who God is. And you have to think about Him in Everyday common life. So my family and I, we went, to, we went hiking uh, the other day, did a really long hike, and I was coming down, and my legs were killing me, right? And I'm thinking, I am so tired, and this is just one tiny little mountain in the whole wide world that God made with his lips. What a wimp I am. How amazing is he? It, came, it did. It came straight into my head. We have to do it in everyday life. Number four, and this is key. Practice secrecy. You're like, wait a minute, I thought you just said secrecy was a bad thing. Not the bad kind of secrecy, the good kind of secrecy. That is the kind that Jesus recommends. So Jesus said secrecy is actually a spiritual discipline that is highly valuable and highly important to the development of our faith. Okay? So what I mean by this is do something good and make sure no one else knows about it. You want to find out whether you fear man or whether you're looking for approval? Do something good and don't let anybody ever find out. And you will be exposed very quickly, won't we? It means don't go hire the Clemson marching band to make sure it plays whenever you do something good, right? Where everybody's got to know. I mean, this is what I did. I'm humble. I just want you to know that that's what I did, right? It doesn't mean that. Instead, it means keeping it a secret. Jesus said this in Matthew 6, 3. When you give to someone who is needy, don't even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. What in the world is he saying by that? Here's what he's saying. A spiritually mature person shouldn't even feel the need to congratulate themselves on doing good. Much less someone else congratulating them. The discipline isn't just about giving money to the needy. It can include anything. Go do something at work that you know that you could get credit for, but you're going to do it in a way that you're not getting credit for. And you let somebody else lie and take it. You're like, you mean am I helping them to sin? You're not controlling them. Just don't take credit. Be the, be the one to bring that kind of research and knowledge to the group that you know is going to get everybody over the edge. Just don't be a glory hog about it. When the truck comes in, take the things out of the truck. Get them organized so the next morning everybody's ready to go at the drop of a hat. And don't walk in and go, you're welcome, everyone. I am here. I'm the one who did this and stayed late while you all went home. Just do it. Memorize some scripture and live with it in a way that you never tell anybody else about it. Right? You see, secrecy exists to free us from being trapped for the approval of people. When we practice it and when we're liberated by it, here's what's going to happen. 
what looks extraordinary to us now only just becomes sane. It just seems sane to do things without needing everybody else's approval. Let me pray for us and let's get in some groups and have some conversation. So Lord, we need your help. Would you, by your grace, come and would you uh, be the help that we need? Uh, Come and expose in us and also encourage and strengthen us. Through Jesus we pray. Amen.